invite you to turn in God's Word this morning to Genesis chapter 2. We're going to be resuming our consideration of God's Word to us in the opening book of our, our copies of God's Word, Genesis chapter 2. Remember that this is, that this is pre-fall and that these are the good uh, things which God has uh, made in creation, which He has given to us. And this morning, we're going to look at a second part of God's gift of technology. When I sit with the older members of the congregation, in fact, I did that just this week, we often lament technology and all that it has done to reshape society and change relationships and uh, even seeing people sitting together but alone together all on their phones as they're all sitting together at a restaurant. And when we think of technology, we often think, oh boy, what a what a deprivation or what a, what a fault that technology is. And yet, God gave this world with all of its resources, with all of its uh, potential for us to discover and for us to develop. Ask the young people today, they might love technology. They hear about how maybe some of us worked when we were younger and they think, boy, Thank you for machines and for simplification of work and efficiency and all of the rest. We can think of technology not just as it pertains to a phone, but as it pertains to agriculture and to medicine and to biotechnology and to so many other things. So when I ask the question, what do you think about technology? What is your attitude, positive or negative? It depends what you're thinking about, and it depends whether you're looking pre-fall or thinking about the effects of the fall on technology. Remember, and this is what we're going to look at this this morning, Genesis chapter 2, remember where God placed man, male and female. He placed him in the garden. Listen to the word of God. Genesis 2 verses 8 through 8 and 9 and then verses 15 to 17. The Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And skipping down to verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely eat die. In the presence, dear people of God, in the presence of God's giving of good gifts, he warns that if we make those gifts ultimate and he takes second place, that there will be judgment. And that is what that reaching out to the hand is a picture of. When the man and the woman took hold of the fruit, as we know, we don't want to go there yet, we'll come to that, But just to remember, when they took hold of that fruit, what they were saying is, we think that there is a way from what is in this world to find our own way to life, to find our own way, and not to submit 
to the Lord, though that is what he had said, obey me in this. That's the first commandment in the Bible. The Lord commanded them not to take of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That is where man goes now, post-fall. He tries to take hold of what God has given and tries to make it ultimate and tries to find life and deliverance there. Well, this morning, we're going to have this somewhat of a challenging task then of, of if, I could, if I could say what this sermon is about, it's giving thanks for technology. It's giving thanks for all that God has put in the world for us to use and to, to develop and to, uh, to discover for his glory. God created a material world filled with resources. We saw that uh, as it was hinted at that in the verses 10 through 14, the last time we looked at Genesis chapter 2. And he's put there discernible patterns, atmospheric realities, design, material properties, all to be discovered. So reminded of the passage in Job 28, which we'll look at later, which speaks of all that man has been able to discover by looking at the world and by listening to the Lord, all the technologies. He writes there in chapter 28 of man's efforts to mine the earth for its resources. And he states that man's achievements in this technological area are part of what separates man from animal, that we can discover, that we can develop these things. God's plan for man is that he would discover and innovate, that he would develop and implement new technologies from what he came across. He's not angered. God's not angered by human innovation. He wants us to share in his joy as we see the wonders of his world. As we discover more, we're we're sharing in the the joys of the Lord in, in creating. He's created these things that they might be discovered that we might learn, that we might grow. Remember Jonathan Edwards's quote that I gave some weeks ago, the material universe is an explosion of God's glory where discovery stirs mankind to share in the joy and delight of God as he discovers more what God has created within the material world. That in his book, The End for Which God Created the World. He wants us to learn from natural revelation. He wants us to learn from the material world about his wondrous creation. It's, it's, it's an impulse that we have. We're created in that way. We have an impulse to, uh, to innovate, to discover. God has made us that way, to work and to keep. Discovery is hardwired within us. And it's obedience to God's call then when we do that. Remember what God said. God spoke to them, male and female, the man and the woman, and said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the world. Dominate and rule. Bring order. So it is this. This is the formula. Resources plus insatiable curiosity equals discovery and technological advancement in God's design. Now certainly the fall has introduced peril to that discovery. Certain temptations in that discovery to bring us in different directions. To lead to ungodly goals But technological advancement is something that we should expect because it is part of God's plan for humanity, though it is not something that we should worship as an end in itself, which we see today. 
I want to think about what the Bible says, just a few things about what the Bible teaches concerning man, discovery, and technology for a few moments this morning with hopes that, that we can find some comfort in it and some, some confidence that, that this is good and that God is uh, given this to us for our good. First, what we discover, what we discover in the world has been placed there by God to be discovered. So it's something that God has put there. We are not fearful that man is going to somehow create something that is not there. Man cannot create. Man can use pre-existing resources and develop them for good or ill. But certainly God has put it there. And he's put boundaries on it as well. He said, this far you may go and no further. These are the boundaries. If you go beyond this, you shall experience my anger, my judgment. Now, I say that because it is perhaps a temptation for us to see how many, how how vast, how quickly technology has moved forward to think, boy, there's nothing man can't do. I wonder if if maybe this is, uh, this, this, this might surprise God or this might somehow change the future in a way that God had not foreseen. Well, that's, that's we ourselves who are processing this information coming at us so quickly. It's just overwhelming. It comes so quickly, and it comes in ways that we would never even have imagined. But God declares, you remember, that he has created all things, including, including uh, those technologies there that are latent in the creation, but will be found as God directs. But tech optimists, as they're called, begin to fantasize about what man can do, and they say things like the possibilities are endless. I mean, there's nothing we can't do. Absolutely nothing. There's no, there's no limit. And we begin to perhaps get a little nervous because we see just how much man does. They start to sound very godlike in their predictions and promises, and they are not very often not recognizing God's design, certainly not his sovereignty. What we must remember is that human discovery is, is just that. It's a discovery of what God has already put there. Humanity doesn't create. We can't make a new material world with new natural laws, though man seems to think he can just make a mockery of what God has designed and that he can somehow change it with pills and surgeries and different technology, as it were. But what they do cannot erase the boundaries of the given world. God determines that we will discover and develop the resources found in the world. He's created it to be so, Isaiah 54 He's created all things, including the technologist. He's over them sovereignly, determining where, how far they may go and no further. He's not threatened by them, nor are his sovereign plans thwarted by their inventions. God rules over his creation and its inhabitants. It reminds us of the Heidelberg Catechism, doesn't it? Where in question answer 28, it talks about God's providence and how he protects and how he cares and how he's watching over all things as a sovereign God, as a loving Father. He says that earlier in the catechism. 
but there in the 28th answer, it says this, that nothing can move nor be moved apart from his will. And that is drawn out of Acts chapter 17, where we read of that in the verses 24 to 28. No plans come about apart from God's decree. We need to remember this as we watch the news and we're tempted to to despair or to believe that the world is controlled by a few powerful people and they will direct it wherever they want it to go. In fact, I hear that sentiment sometimes. Oh, pastor, I just don't know what's going to happen. I, I, I just think it's all, it's all we're, we're in trouble. And, and, and there is that temptation, isn't there, to despair, to, 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 become, to become almost uh, uh, overwhelmed with what's going to happen, with what this person might do or that person might do. It's not new, is it? Remember the great Babylonian ruler and technologist Nebuchadnezzar when he stands on the roof of his palace and looks over Babylon and says, is this not the great Babylon that I have built? And the Lord sends him out into pasture and gives him eagle claws and eagle feathers and he becomes deranged. He thinks he's so great and yet he's humbled by God. God is not overcome by man, nor frustrated by his innovations. God raises them up. That's, that's the second point, closely related to the first. What's in creation is there by God's putting it there, and then those who, ra- who are raised up to discover it are raised up by God. Now, thirdly, God is so marvelous, marvelously sovereign that he actually gives man the ability to discover and to develop as a gift to push back the curse. So this, this discovery, this ability is given as a, as a gift to push back the curse. When mankind comes together, knowledge is gathered, builds upon itself. We think of medical professionals coming together and they study bacteria and viruses and they come up with all of these uh, medical responses to these particular diseases that are a result of the fall and effect of the curse and And it's God who's granting that advancement. It's God who is giving advancement to that shared information. We can think of many other ways and how in agriculture, uh, the Lord provides technologies to to produce more grain on fewer acres, all as a result of his um, giving that, that guidance. That's actually, by the way, found in Isaiah 28, where he says, that the farmer acts in keeping with what God has taught him. So even agriculture is something which God is teaching humanity for the good. But But God also knows that when man comes together to solve problems, that it can lead to others. And often it does lead to, the use of the discovery leads to ends that are not glorifying to him. And yet, and yet he, he is sovereign over that. There are discoveries that are used to disrupt, distort, and destroy, as we see. And we need to explain clearly to our children what is the purpose of man, what is, this, what is his uh, uh, created purpose, his design, that our children might know this, that we too would be remembering this. But we recognize, as does God, that these discoveries can lead to pride and rebellion. God is over it, and we can learn through technological advancement. We ought not to be tech pessimists to say that it is all bad. 
And that's the fourth point that we need to remember. Technological advancement, though it, is called, though it calls for ethical discussion on how to use it, is good. There are so-called tech pessimists out there that say no more technology, no more new stuff. All it does is lead to bad outcomes. There's only, there's only, there's only bad that can come from this. But I think we would all agree that there have been many developments in technology, many discoveries which God put there for us to find that have been for good, that have led to medical advancement, length of life, uh, extension of the quality of life. And we ought to give thanks to God for that. Indeed, there are ethical questions that must be asked each time a new discovery is made. We shouldn't say just because we can do something that we should do something, that we should use it. But in obedience to the call of God to subdue the earth, we should continue to investigate and develop new ways of production of resources and prevention of diseases, to name just a few applications of new technologies. Now, some of the most exciting areas of technological advancement are also some of the most challenging. They, they bring about many ethical challenges. Think of the area of biotechnology, where those who have been uh, in, in battle have lost a limb, and there are ways in which now, through uh, biotechnology, they're restored that limb through, through a uh, metal arm that has neurological uh, connection to the brain and, and they're, even, they're restored to a God-given ability. That is, I think, an important point for us to recognize. How is technology being used? Is it being used to restore to us a God-given ability or is it being used to make us God-like in a way that God did not intend, to deny limitations, to deny dependence upon God? That's the type of questions that we need to ask ethically when technologies come before us. For you see, in that same area of biotechnology, there are those who want to, I've I've said this here before, but I think it bears repeating for illustration, who want to download people's brains onto a computer so that they can hopefully someday transfer them to to another body so that they can outlive their, their mortality. Well, that, of course, is rejection of God's, uh, of God's plan. And it is attempt to get around the curse for sin, which is rather than addressing one's need and going to God with it, trying to deny one's need and to ignore God. We shouldn't try to play God or to tempt God to intervene to keep us from trying to work around him as if we could possibly do what only God can do. So that, by way of, of first point this morning, just, just thinking about technology and, and some, of the, some of the truths that we find in God's Word, what, what can technology, what technology cannot do? Secondly, this morning, we can, we've seen some things that we must keep in mind when discussing the technology, but we also remember what technology cannot do. Technology, secondly, cannot give wisdom. That's the first point. Cannot give wisdom. Now I, now I invite you to turn to Job 28, or you may listen, Job 28, where a very interesting passage uh, is set before us. There we see all that man has been enabled to discover, or at least a large portion of it. And it's a fascinating passage when you think about it. All of the technologies found therein, the mining for metals, the agricultural technology for bread to come about, uh, to create bread and food, the... the um, development of, of uh, dams to capture the water and for irrigation and so forth. You'll see that all in here. But what is made clear is what cannot be found in technology. Listen to this, Job 28, 
first uh, 13 verses. Surely there is a mine for silver. He's talking about mining. And a place for gold that they refine, that man refines. Iron is taken out of the earth and copper is smelted from the ore. Man puts an end to darkness and searches out to the farthest limit, the ore, in gloom and deep darkness. He opens shafts in a valley away from where anyone lives. They're forgotten by travelers. They hang in the air far away from mankind. They swing to and fro. As for the earth, out of it comes bread. But underneath it is turned up as by fire. Its stones are the place of sapphires and it has dust of gold. That path no bird of prey knows and the falcon's eye has not seen it. The proud beasts have not trodden it. The lion has not passed over it. Stating the difference between man and animal there. And then verse 9, man puts his hand to the flinty rock and overturns mountains by the roots. He cuts out channels in the rocks and his eye sees every precious thing. He dams up the streams so that they do not trickle, and the thing that is hidden he brings out to light. But then listen to this. But where shall wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? Man does not know its worth, and it is not found in the land of the living. There, in in the midst of all that man has developed, God makes clear to us, but wisdom is not found in those things. That is not, it is not in the land of the living where man finds his path, the path to understanding as to how things are. Where is that found? Verse 15, keep going. It cannot be bought for gold, that is wisdom, and silver cannot be weighed as its price. It cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir, in precious onyx or sapphire. Gold and glass cannot equal it, nor can it be exchanged for jewels of fine gold. No mention shall be made of coral or of crystal. The price of wisdom is above pearls. The topaz of Ethiopia cannot equal it, nor can it be valued in pure gold. From where then does wisdom come? And where is the place of understanding? Can we, by pursuing technology to its end, become wise? Can we, by pursuing the material world, come to a place of understanding of of who we are and, 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 and where we're going? Well, we see what's happening today, don't we? When we pursue technology to its end, thinking that we're God's delivering ourselves from our physical limitations, we must beware of trying to look there for understanding. And certainly, we can't find wisdom. Verse 23 gives us the answer. God understands the way to wisdom, and he knows its place. And verse 28, he says this to man, Behold, The fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to turn away from evil is understanding. That is very helpful to us when we think about all of the hopes placed on technology today. As good as it is and as wonderful as it is because God gave it to us pre-fall, it has become a God. It has become that which is supposed to deliver that which God never intended it to deliver It was intended to be given to us that we might glorify God as we think about the wonders of his world, as we discover the beauty of his world and all of the the cures that we can find in it. But the man whose faith is in technology, whose faith is in creation and its resources, will never find wisdom's way to life. It's not in your smartphone. No matter how smart it is, no matter how many billion circuits are in your cell phone. It's not there. It's not there. 
Remember the contrast that was made between, in, in use of technology, last time we talked, between Noah and those in, in the Tower of Babel. Noah used the technology of his day to protect the ark from leaking so that he might be delivered. Why did he do that? Because, he, because God told him, you listen to me or else you will not be delivered from the judgment that is to come. And by faith, we read in Hebrews, Noah obeyed. After the flood, of course, the earth is filled up with people again, and they use the technology of their day, again, tar, to point the bricks of their tower, and in effect say, this is our tower to declare that we're independent. We don't need you, God. I challenge you to wash us away, as you did in the days of Noah. So you see, there are very, very stark contrast in how technology can be thought of. It can be used to bring honor and glory to God, used in faith, or it can be used in defiance. God intended it to be given that we might rejoice in Him and delight in Him. Wisdom, wisdom that comes only from God, is this, to fear the Lord, to trust Him to listen to his word. Turning away from evil, we read here in Job 28, is understanding. To turn away from evil is understanding. What is evil? Well, again, God defines that. Not, not the Supreme Court, not anybody else. Legislators, presidents, prime ministers, dictators, nobody but God. Whenever technology is used to declare independence from God, we can be sure that he will bring judgment and an end to such endeavors. Well, what else can't technology do? Secondly, it cannot save. Technology cannot save. Just as God went down to see the tower built on the plain of Shinar, so he went down to see the rebellion on the plain where Sodom and Gomorrah was built, where they were living in ways that were contrary to God's design, where they were saying, this design of my body doesn't comport to reality. I will live however I want to live. And I will find joy in this way of living. And I will find fulfillment in this way of living. The people had come together not in their partnership. It was not to lead them, one another, to praise God, but to defy Him. And their hope was in their unified strength. But it was groundless, for man cannot stand against God. Psalm 2 speaks of the kings, the rulers of the earth, who think that through their technology they will break the bonds that God has set, the boundaries that He has made, their military technologies, their redefinition of words. We won't follow what God says. We will not bow to His anointed. Psalm 2. And we will throw off His bonds. We will throw off His designs. And then we read, He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. There is no hope that man can 
save himself. And when he tries to stand against God, his judgment is sealed. The advancement of, uh, in technology has come to a high point of rebellion today for our world is using technology to attempt to erase the image of God in man. The pursuit of immortality has become wearisome because we haven't found an answer, so we'll just defy him here and now. We'll defy him on earth. We'll, we'll show him that the image of God, male and female, isn't an image that we recognize. And we'll save ourselves from him and from his ways. And we will enjoy it. We will find happiness. This is nothing less than an attempt to create a new world, a new reality. And God's judgment is upon this world as a result of it. It's seen in man's confusion. It's seen in man's frustration. It's seen in man attacking man. It's seen in depression. It's seen in substance abuse. It's seen in the height and the the depth of psychological disorders today. The counseling never having been higher than today. It's not advancement, dear people of God. It is suicide. It's a feeble attempt to storm the throne of heaven by attacking God's image on earth. It's heartbreaking to see how man is using his technological discoveries to live in rebellion to God, to try to undermine his design as if that were possible. What man most needs is not to escape his flesh, but to be delivered from his sin and restored to relationship with God. Alienation from God is his biggest problem and can only be removed by trusting in Christ whose life, death, and resurrection has sealed redemption, defeating sin's curse and power. In his ascension, he is now reigning over the world for the glory of the Father until he comes again to place all things under his feet. All things. Well then... Finally, a word about gratitude for technology. We see the dangers. We go back and forth just looking at and, and, and thinking about technology. But a word about gratitude, of gratitude. Man has been given that call to explore, to discover, and to develop. Technology is wonderful. In the new heavens and new earth, I'm convinced that we'll continue to discover and to, uh, to develop all to the glory of God as we see what he has put into his world. He wants us to share in his delight and the delight of the wonders of his creation. The material world isn't evil. It's sin that has introduced that fallenness. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies pour forth his handiwork. The earth has been given to man, we read in the Psalms, and we're to use it for his glory. That coming day, discovery and development will not be frustrated by thorns and thistles. Discovery and development will be but will lead to praise of God for his wonders to continue to flow forth from his world. We'll marvel at all that there is to discover. We'll find work enjoyable and not a burden for it's part of our worship. I know that seems hard to to imagine for some of us today that work is worship, (laughs) but it is. It's been frustrated by the fall, been frustrated in so many ways, but work is part of our worship even now. Discovery and diligence in our work is a gift 
to God, a gift that God gives to us to be enabled to work for His glory, for His good, that we might rejoice in Him as we receive these gifts from Him. And these gifts are not ultimate. The ultimate gift is God Himself. And that's our greatest reason for thanksgiving. We give thanks for technology, but ultimately our greatest thanks is reserved for God's giving Himself to us. We must not ignore that God teaches us more about Himself every day, even as we work and as we keep this garden world in which we are, which God has given. We discover and we guard the true and the beautiful that God has given. We teach our children to see that beautiful design in creation, the purpose for which things were given to glorify Him. Psalm 24 says this, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. He is sovereign over it. But then the psalmist says in Psalm 115, He has graciously given the earth to man, not so that we can live to ourselves apart from Him, but that we might learn more about Him through it. And He calls us to make faith-based decisions on how we use what, we, what has been discovered Those are just some questions I want to leave with you this morning. What is is a particular technology for, we need to ask? Can it be used for God's glory? Is technology tempting me to free myself from God? Or is technology leading me to marvel more over God? Is it enabling me to serve others as is God's design for me? These are some questions that we need to ask. Our greatest need is to be brought from sin. Sin of worshiping self and regarding self alone to worshiping God and Him alone. Our greatest need is not to have our best life now. It's not to have our easiest life now. It's not to have our most entertaining life now. Our greatest need is to know our story, that we're sinners who need to be reconciled to God and that God has provided a Savior to deliver us. It's to know His Word and to submit to its teaching. It's not to grab for that in creation which we would think would make us live forever, which of course is the lie of the devil. It is to take hold of the one who is life, even the Lord Jesus Christ, by faith. Even as we discover, even as we develop, out of obedience to God's call given to us, our greatest hope is not in technology. Our greatest gratitude is not for all the discoveries that God has given to us here on this earthly sojourn. Our greatest gratitude is for the gift of His Spirit who works faith in His Son that we might die to sin and live to God in all that we do and all that we say. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for all that you give to us. You provide for us body and soul. We are not to neglect the things needful for the body. We are not even to neglect the technologies that are given, the developments that we see. But we are also conscious, O Lord, that it is easy for us to begin to find our life in these things, in the material world spending all of our time and effort to pursue them rather than you. Our greatest gift is you. Indeed, our life is found in you and in your Son. 
We pray for your spirit to work in us richly, that we might delight in this world, in the work that we do in this world, even as we do it, offering it as a gift to you with thanksgiving for the ways in which we can give to others while we remember that our efforts are to make much of you. Hear us, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen.